So among uh, another, uh, those many privileges of sharing time and ministry with you is the, the rare but privileged opportunity that we are so grateful for as pastors, as any leader would be, to partner in ministry with emerging ministers, people who are, feel called into ministry, and you get to walk with them through that as they uh, process their call, get trained, and advance into uh, either church work or missions work or whatever it might be. And those are fun, wonderfully rewarding experiences for we as pastors. And I'm grateful to be able to introduce to you today uh, a young man who we are spending that kind of time together in a variety of different settings. Um, that's super intense because he works full time, but I'm grateful for the moments that we have and the, the, the brief meetings that we have. And it's fun to watch him. I can't wait to hear him speak this morning. We have a missionary intern here that you've probably seen before because he definitely stands out in the crowd. Um, and uh, I know he's going to stand out as a minister of the gospel to you this morning as someone who will bless you. This is our friend and missionary intern, Nathan Wilson. Thanks, brother. Thank you, sir. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Hope you got your coffee. I got my water. It's an honor and it's a privilege to be here together with you this morning. I haven't been coming to this church for but a few years, but I've really grown to love this church. It's fun to serve here. It's fun to worship here. And I'm glad that Pastor Jim took the time to introduce just a few faces that we see. But I know there's so many more faces that are also working here and serving together, and it's just a privilege to be one of those. And when Pastor Bruce asked me to preach today, I was thinking one Sunday, what can I best do to help our fellow church members? And my mind kept coming back to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, when Paul wrote that God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And as I consider how I fit into that, it's my goal this morning that I can encourage us to be more equipped for the work that God has given each one of us to do. Because it's not on just the pastors, but rather the body. We are his hands. We are his feet. And let's grow in that together. So my passage today is going to come from 2 Timothy in chapter 3. So please go ahead and turn there with me if you would. 2 Timothy is one of the last letters that Paul wrote. He wrote this letter from prison in Rome shortly before he was executed. And Paul knew this was about to happen. As we can see in chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, that Paul writes, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul is not giving up. He is realizing that he has accomplished the task that God has given to him. But he also recognizes that this task is not just his, but this is the same task for the whole church. And as a continuation of this, Paul is 
urging Timothy to continue that work. He's urging him to strive toward that same goal. So in this letter, there are a number of exhortations, but some of the la- and these are some of the last words that Paul wrote. In chapter 1, verse 2, we see that Paul addresses this letter to Timothy as his beloved child. An old man is writing to a younger man, and he wants to give him instruction and encouragement in his ministry. And as I reflect on that, it reminds me of one of the last interactions I had with my own father. I was about 25, and my dad had cancer, and we knew he wasn't going to make it. I had an opportunity to sit with my now wife, Christy. We were only dating at that time, but we had an opportunity to sit down. And I remember asking my dad, Dad, what do you want us to know? He had poured into me his entire life. He had trained me, he had instructed me, loved me, and cared for me. But now we knew he was going to be with the Lord. And as I sat there with my bride, and I listened to him talk, I relished that instruction, much as I relish those same memories now. And I imagine that's a little bit of what Timothy probably felt when he received this letter from Paul. So let's go ahead and take a look at that letter. Let's, well, we're going to start in verse 10 for some context, and then we're going to focus in on chapters 16 and seven, verses 16 and 17. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted." While evil people and impostors go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Lord, speak to your church. Open our eyes to the full weight of what you want us to see this morning. May we see the richness of your word and its value to our lives. Amen. So as we focus in on verses 16 and 17, I know that they'll be very familiar to a lot of us. And I think that's, that's great. That's okay. Many of us have been in the church for a long time. And when we hear certain passages, we're familiar with them. And we can think to ourselves, I know, I know what the pastor's going to say. I know what my teacher's going to say. And there's nothing wrong with that. Paul says the same thing to Timothy. when In verse 14, we see Paul's encouraging Timothy to continue in what he has learned and believed knowing that he is already acquainted with the scriptures, with the sacred writings. For Timothy, this would have been the Old Testament. But it's actually a pretty neat thought to think as he received this letter that real time he's getting part of the New Testament as well. So when we consider how Paul is charging Timothy to continue in what he has learned and believed, I hope that you also can take encouragement from that. When you come to a passage that you're familiar with, that you look at it afresh, recognizing that it's the very word of God. 
So Paul recognized Timothy was acquainted with the scriptures, and yet Paul still went on to praise their worth. Let's take a closer look at what Paul said to Timothy about and what he wanted him to know about the scriptures. In this section of the letter, it is important to remind, Paul thought important to remind Timothy where he learned about the scripture. And this is actually a pretty neat thought. If you look at the beginning of 2 Timothy, you'll see that Paul commends the faith that is in Timothy. It's the same faith that was in his mother and his grandmother. What an awesome thought. He's a third generation believer. We know that his father was not Jewish, his mother was. We don't know if his father was a man of faith, but we definitely see the faith of his mother and his grandmother praised. What a sweet responsibility parents have to teach the wonderful truths of God's word to the next generation. So just as Paul wanted Timothy to remember who taught him the word, because that would have been very heavily his mother and his own grandmother, He also makes the incredibly important statement that all scripture has been breathed out by God. It's not just who taught him the scripture, but who originated the scripture. The very words of scripture were breathed out or inspired by God. What a cool concept. As the word that's used in the Greek is a combination of the words for God and spirit or breath. So that's why you see it translated as inspired or breathed out by God. And we we consider the breath of God, it's a very powerful thing. We know that through God speaking, he created the very universe. There was nothing, God spoke, and there was light. The same thing with man. He fashioned us out of dust. I fashioned Adam out of dust. But he didn't have life until God breathed the breath into his lungs. So the breath of God is the agent of creation. Just as he created the world and our very selves, he also provided us with the scriptures to guide us. And it's not just some scripture, but all scripture or every scripture. We don't have to discern what's from man and what's from God. If it's in the Bible, we know that all of it is inspired. All of it comes directly from God. So when we consider where the scriptures originate, we should know that it's from the very mouth of God. And this is very comforting to me because God doesn't change. We live in a society where things change all the time. Technology changes, politics change, environment changes. Even my own emotions and my opinions on things change. But God stays the same through all of it. When Moses asked God what his name was, God said, I am that I am, or I am who I am. In other words, God always has been and God always will be. He doesn't need anyone or anything to sustain him. Similarly, in Revelation, Jesus pronounces, I am the Alpha and the Omega, who is and who was and who is to come. God does not change. He has revealed himself to us in his word, and we can get to know him through the Bible. Hebrews 1.1 is another one of my favorite verses. And it also speaks to this. It says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, and through whom he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by his power. The word of God is not a blog post. 
It's not the opinion of man. It's not man's best wisdom. It comes directly from the one who created the world by speaking it into existence. 2 Peter 1 verse 20 even tells us that no prophecy of Scripture ever came about by the will of men, but men spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Picture a sailboat sitting there until the wind comes and carries it along. It's the same way that we got Scripture. So when Paul is writing to Timothy, he is contrasting the folly of men with God's truth that he's revealed to us in his word. Paul wants Timothy to know that the scripture is the very word of God. So we live in an age that emphasizes personal truth. We don't stand back as a culture and say, this is right and this is wrong. We say, this is good for me, that's good for you, and that's okay as long as you don't impose your beliefs on me. But God's word stands in opposition to that. God lays down what is right and what is wrong. And wherever we disagree with that, we need to be brought into alignment with his word. So when studying the Bible, we need to ask the question, where does it come from? And why do I ask this question? Because its implications are vast. It's breathed out by God. It's been inspired to him. And it's been given to us. We live in a society that doesn't want to acknowledge the existence of God. Because if there is a creator, then we're a creation. And we have to at least recognize that he has created rules that we are supposed to live by. And we would rather, as a society, want to be our own God. And this is dangerous. It leads to death. People create their own personal truths instead of relying on what God has given us in his word. To deny the one who... to. To deny God is to reject the one who gave us our very life. Paul wants to remind Timothy that God's word is no human concoction, but rather spoken by God himself, the creator. So after establishing that all scripture is breathed out by God, he moves on to the fact that it is profitable. What is it profitable for? In our passage, Paul explicitly wrote to Timothy that God's word is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Profitable is an interesting word to use here, and as I was meditating on that, I realized to be profitable means to get out more than you put in. That's business, right? Why would a doctor go to med school, often going into debt, spending six figures to get an education? Because he knows that the payoff in the long run is worth it. Why would a car manufacturer take all those materials and the labor and everything required to spend thousands of dollars to assemble a car because he knows he can sell it for more? When we approach scripture, we need to have that same mindset. Why should we spend time reading and studying and meditating on God's word? Because the impact that it has on our life is immensely greater than what we invest. The cost of time involved reaps a profit in our life as we see God work in us, shape us more and more into the image of his son Jesus. So it's profitable to us for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Let's look at each one of these. Teaching. God's word is profitable for teaching. And I must start with the most important thing that the word of God teaches. If you look back at verse 15, we see salvation. It says the scripture is able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Salvation, meaning eternal life, 
forgiveness, being restored to a relationship with God, able to live with him for all eternity. The Christian life begins with salvation, but it was never meant to end there. God loves us too much to leave us alone. He has so much more in store for us, and he has us on this earth for a reason. He's using the trials and the tribulations of this world to make us more and more into the image of his blessed son. We are not seeking merely to have a better life, but rather we are trying to die to ourselves and instead live for Christ. The Bible is filled with teaching on how to do that. But note that the scriptures are not salvation in themselves. They only make one wise for salvation. How do they do that? By pointing us to place our faith in Christ Jesus. We need to remember that no amount of knowledge will ever save us. Knowledge without faith is death. And this is why Paul instructs Timothy that the sacred writings are able to make one wise for salvation that is through faith in Christ Jesus. Now it's important that we come to the Bible for teaching. Why? Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3. It says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Wow, that's scary, right? Paul warns here and elsewhere that people will find teachers who are saying things that they want to hear rather than relying on what God has revealed to us in his word. So how can we know if we're grounded? By checking what we believe, by checking what we believe against what God has told us in the Bible. Even from the beginning of the church, there have been false prophets and false teachers, false doctrines. Paul combated this in a lot of his letters. In 2 Timothy, we see several places where Paul puts the emphasis on healthy or sound doctrine. And some things may appear to sound right, but they lack the same authority of God's word at best. And at worst, they lead us away from God. Satan, the tempter, the accuser, the deceiver, will often pose an idea of something that is contrary to what God has actually declared to be true. Remember what Jesus said when he was tempted by Satan to turn the rocks into bread? It says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. There's another nod to the inspiration of scripture. But Jesus himself even stated that we live by the word that comes from the mouth of God. Every day, multiple times a day, we make it our habit to eat. And it's not just to get nutrition, but we want to enjoy it. We think about food that we like. We plan for it ahead of time. When we're going to eat. Where we're going to eat. What we're going to eat. We plan accordingly. Why don't we do the same with God's word? Pick a time and a place and start feasting on God's word regularly. Why? Because it's profitable. It's worth more than what you put into it. Let's invest in the Bible and reap some profitable teaching. God tells us that it will be valuable to our lives. It's a common theme in Paul's letters that there are false teachers both within and outside the church. Understanding the difference between what is false and what is true is essential. And the difference, and Paul's instructing Timothy, that the only way we can know the difference is that God's word allows us to discern that. 
If we're not coming to his word to see what's true, we can get led aside by those things we want to hear, by those things that seem like they're true. And this is the way falsehood works. There's a hint of truth, or it sounds like something we want to believe, so we believe it. But we can't rely merely on what we want to be the truth. Instead, we must check this against what God has revealed to us in his word. Look again at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Brothers and sisters, don't let that be you. Help each other. We need to come to the Bible to make sure we're believing the right thing. Paul also writes that all scripture is profitable for reproof. There's a word we don't use very often. Believe it or not, reproof is actually a comforting word to me. We don't, I think this is the only time we see it in the New Testament, but it's definitely a concept that we see in the Old Testament. The most uh, poignant example I can think of is in Proverbs chapter 3 and verses 11 and 12 where it says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord, dis- the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. In other words, if God loves us, he's going to reprove us. He's going to discipline us. And when we feel that discipline, that means he loves us. And we shouldn't despise that, but rather accept that. So the primary way that God speaks to us is through his word. And his word is there for our discipline. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 tells us that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. When we read God's word, the Holy Spirit works with the word of God to convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment. And he lets us know where we need to be more conformed into the image of God's son. But this is never for the purpose of breaking us down, rather to build us up in love. Ezekiel chapter 33 verse 11 tells us that God delights when we turn from sin. Another place this is well illustrated is in Job chapter 5 verses 17 and 18. I remember where I was when someone first taught me this. It was in my seminary, my Greek professor and it was teaching a class on hermeneutics, and, and he pointed this to show us how God is like a surgeon. So listen as I read Job chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. It's a beautiful word picture. Behold, blessed is the one whom God reproves. Therefore, do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. For he wounds, he binds up, he shatters, but his hands heal. God is like a surgeon. What happens when you break a bone and you don't get it taken care of right away. Well, when you finally do come around and want to get some help for it, it might have set the wrong way. And what's that doctor going to need to do? He's going to need to cut the skin in order to get to the bone. And once he's done that, he's going to bind it up. And sometimes he's going to need to break what's there. But what's the purpose? Why would someone go pay someone to let them cut you and break you and bind you up because it's for our healing. In the same way, God does that for us. We can think that we have things in our life handled, 
But when we realize that our life isn't like it should be, we come to God and we ask for his help. In order to restore it to the way he intended, sometimes he needs to wound, bind up, and shatter, but his hands always heal. There may be pain, but it is for our restoration. As it is written in Job, God reproves the one he loves and he is blessed. So while the scripture reproves us of our sin, it also reproves us of incorrect doctrine. We must be very careful that what we believe about all things spiritual and the word of God should be our ultimate source of truth. When we believe something that seems to contradict what's written in the Bible, we need to be very careful and diligent to seek God's word and to make sure that we understand what he's saying. Because if we start to alter who the God of the Bible is, we start to worship a God that's different than the one who gave us the Bible. And that becomes idolatry. Sometimes we find it more palatable to imagine a God who can overlook our seemingly innocent sins or he knows that uh, things change over time. We're living in a different age. But God does not change. We do not sit in judgment of him. Rather, we should let his word sit over us and make sure that we align to what his word tells us to do. We need to align our doctrine, our view of God, and what he has revealed to us in his word. And may I also point out that God has revealed to us who he is in the person of Jesus. Pastor Bruce talked about that, I believe it was last week, in the opening verses of John, 1 John, and Hebrews. We see that Jesus has shown us who God really is because he is God in the form of a man. There's so much confusion in our culture about who God is. When I witness, rarely do I come across someone who has an understanding of who God is as revealed in the Bible. Instead, they have a caricature of who they imagine God to be, and that's the God they reject instead of the God that we see in the Bible. The only way to have a right view of God is by communing with him, spending time with him in his word and in prayer. So the Bible was given to us for our reproof. It reproves our actions, and it reproves our doctrine. Correction is similar to reproof. The idea here is correcting, restoring, or improving. So God loves us too much to leave us where we are. He wants us to be made more and more into the image of his son, Jesus. So while the word is profitable for reproving us, it is equally profitable for instructing us in how we are to be corrected and restored. God is in the business of restoration. One of the reasons we have a Thursday night ministry called that very same thing. So much so that God sent his own son to die on our behalf and to reconcile us to himself. The scripture is sufficient to provide all the correction we need to align with God's standard for our lives. Just as we picture a surgeon who cuts and shatters, he also binds up and heals. The last of the four words that Paul explicitly states is training and righteousness. And I would say this is my favorite, but I would have no business being trained in righteousness if I first wasn't being taught and reproved and corrected. At this point, I would love to preach through the whole Bible and to talk about what it means to be trained in righteousness, but number one, we don't have enough time. Number two, I don't think you'd let me. But here's the good part. 
You get to do that on your own. You have the word of God yourself. You have your own time. You have your own schedule. And you get to mine the richness of God's word. He gives you his spirit. You have access to the very spirit of God to understand what he has provided to us in the scriptures. Because remember, the Bible is the very word of God breathed out to us. He was inspired it to men who wrote it down for our instruction. There are so many passages that we could talk about. Um, but when considering training in righteousness, 1 Peter chapter 2 jumped into my head. It says, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted how the Lord is good. Here's a quick example. A lot of times the scripture tells us what we need to start doing, what we need to stop doing, and what we need to continue doing. Earlier this year, Pastor Bruce preached a sermon, and in that he talked about how we need to stop trying and to start training. And that really resonated with me because it's so applicable. It can be easy to get discouraged when we try and we fail. But God is a good instructor. When we fail, he picks us up, he teaches us again, and then he patiently tests us until we pass. So come to his word for some training in righteousness. This is what we were created for. So when we put these four things together, we get a holistic picture of what the Bible, how it impacts our life. The word of God teaches us. It shows us where we're wrong in practice and doctrine. And it aligns us to be like Christ. And it trains us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. Rather than leaving us to our own wandering, the Bible makes us wise in how to move from death to life. This starts with salvation through faith in Christ Jesus and continues from there to refine us and allow us to be complete and ready for every good work. Now, I know we can get a little nervous when we talk about good works. Sometimes they can get a bad rap. Many of us are familiar with Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We are saved through faith. It's a gift. God gives it to us. No amount of merit will earn it. But what's the very next verse in chapter 10? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's beautiful. We're not saved by good works. We're saved for good works. God wants us to walk in these. And as Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, God actually prepared these for us to walk in beforehand. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus says to let your light so shine among men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. God wants to be glorified in our lives. He has prepared a means for that beforehand. And we are called to, work, to walk in good works. But we need to be equipped for them. How do we get equipped for them? I'm glad you asked. By submitting ourselves to the word of God. Because it is profitable, it teaches, reproves, corrects, and trains us in righteousness. And to what end? That we may be complete and ready 
for every good work. And here's another piece I find really encouraging. You may be saying to yourself, I don't know what good works God wants me to walk in. And that's okay. I completely understand that. But what does God's word say? When we come to it, submit to it, feast on it, it will make us ready for good works. We don't get the foresight of knowing exactly what good works God is going to call us to walk in. But it doesn't really matter what they are. The point is that regardless of what those good works are, the catalyst is the same. It's the very word of God. Because once again, God's word, the scripture, spells out everything we need to do to be ready to be used by him. If you flip back to chapter uh, chapter 2, so in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, it says, Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Because remember, God's word teaches us. It's a mirror. When we look into it, it shows us where we need reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. So how do we get ready for good works? How do we set ourselves aside to be useful to the Lord? I would love to be useful to the Lord. We need to cleanse ourselves from what is dishonorable. Consider your life. Of what do we need to cleanse ourselves to be set apart as holy and useful to God. It's worth it. This is not a matter of looking good or looking on the outside, making it seem like we have it all together. Instead, it's a matter of cleaning the inside of the dish, trying to get rid of any trace of sin that holds us back so that at any point in time, we will be ready to be a clean instrument, able to be used by God to accomplish his will through us. There's so many passages that flesh out what Paul is saying in these verses, and I know I've already gone through quite a bit of scripture this morning, but that's kind of the point. The Bible is where we go for direction. It guides us. It equips us. It has been given to us by God for our benefit. The question is, are we using it? Uh, A month or two ago, I saw a t-shirt that had a picture of a big Bible on the front of it course grabbed my attention looked at the script underneath and it said when all else fails follow the instructions (laughs) it's funny but it's true how often do we ignore the fact that God has given us everything we need in his word so my point in all this is we need to get into God's word and we need to get God's word into us have you ever felt like you lack the ability or the power to do what God has asked you to do. We know we need to rely on him, but we can't ask him in prayer without seeking him in his word. He has provided for us everything we need to be complete, equipped for every good work. If we ask him in prayer, but don't seek him in his word, we're ignoring the answers he's already given to us in scripture. So back in the beginning of this message, I told you my inspiration, my aim in all of this is to see how I can fit into the instruction in Ephesians 4, how I can help equip the church for the work of the ministry. It's my earnest desire 
that we all grow and that we grow together as we look to Jesus, encouraging one another, loving one another, and spurring one another on toward love and good deeds. So I hope you've been encouraged to grow close to God through his word this morning. It's my earnest prayer that we grow together as one body, that we throw aside the sin that holds us back and traps us, and then instead we look to Jesus, and then we spend time with God in his word. So as I look out across this room, I can imagine there are a variety of responses to the message this morning. Many of us simply need to continue what we're doing. You regularly meet with God in prayer and in reading his word. You know the value of what I'm talking about, and you can attest to that. I pray that you'll join me in encouraging and spurring one another on to go deeper in our relationship with God. Remember how Paul praised the faith of Timothy's mother and grandmother? Be that inspiration to the next generation. The scriptures are useful for teaching, reproving, correcting, and training in righteousness. And not useful only for our own lives, but to anyone who is willing to submit to them. Consider how you can share with others the wonderful instructions and the word of the Lord. And some others of us might feel a little beat up this morning. Remember the surgeon. God loves you. God cares for you. And if you're feeling reproved, come to him and talk to him about it. Remember the word that the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a son in whom he delights. I've had seasons of much time with God and I've had seasons of little time with God. And I can tell you from personal experience that when we turn and we come to him, that he doesn't make us walk in shame, but he accepts us. If we come to him, he forgives us and welcomes us into his presence. I imagine there's another section of us who sometimes read our Bible, but not regularly. And I hope you feel encouraged to go a little deeper. Maybe you're saying, okay, but I'm not really sure where to start. And if you aren't sure, I would encourage you to start in Ephesians chapter 4, the very inspiration for this message. It gives a beautiful picture of how God grants each of us gifts that when we use them, it helps the church, his body, grow together into the head, which is Jesus. So if you want to go deeper, talk to someone. Ask them to do it with you. And before we break, I have one more exhortation. In 2 Timothy 3, chapter, chapter 3, verse 15, he highlights a foundational truth to living according to God's word. The only way we can have any hope of living a life that's pleasing to God is if we have first placed our faith in Christ Jesus. For while we were saved for good works, no one will ever be saved by good works. So I urge you, my brothers and sisters, that if any of you are relying on your own merit for salvation, that you just put that before God, that you talk to him about that, because it is only through faith that anyone will be saved. God tells us in his word that he will never turn anyone away who comes to him in repentance and faith. So if you haven't yet, I urge you to talk to Jesus about that this very morning. As he will restore you, he will build you up, and he will welcome you into his family as a son or a daughter. You will become a beloved son or daughter and be filled with his spirit. Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you for your word. We praise you as the almighty God who created the universe by your very word. That same breath that has given us all that we need for life and godliness. We thank you for being a loving father, a perfect father. And I thank you for salvation through faith in your son, Jesus. I ask that you send your spirit upon us to convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Grant to us that we diligently seek you through your word. May we grow together as we strive to attain full maturity. May we have the spirit of our minds renewed through your precious word. Give us the courage to admit when we believe something that is different than what you teach in your word. Give us patience and dealing with those who do not see you for who you are. Thank you for calling us to live holy lives as we seek to imitate Christ. May we humble ourselves and realize that we can only live the life you have called us to live when we submit to your word, depend on your spirit, and let love characterize our lives. Finally, Lord, we ask that you receive our tithes and offerings. May we hold nothing back as we recognize that it is you who gives us everything we have. I ask these things in the name of your precious son, Jesus. Amen.